It's good to set goals. Uh, they say that uh, those without goals are, are those without a, a future. But what's your goal list look like? If I was just to take inventory in here, I'm sure that we all would have some, some things in common. At the top of most of our list would be to read the Bible through, from Genesis to Revelation, in 90 days. Right? Like, no, that's, that's not, not quite what I had in mind. No, we have goals more like to get in shape, to lose 20 pounds, right? To pay off debt, student loans, correct? <laughs> to get a new computer or mobile device. To stop smoking, to fall in love, to fall out of love. My goal this year is to get a divorce. I hope not, amen. <laughs> to graduate from school, to do all these wonderful things. But I, I want to challenge us today to make and to have a different goal. A goal that I'm, I'm sure that most of us in this room have never had. But a goal that I believe should be the number one goal on every Christian's list. The number one goal for every Christian should be to be used by God to bring someone into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every Christian should have a goal to be personally used by God to bring someone to know Jesus. I would argue that there is no greater goal. But for most of us in this room, we've never set that as a goal. In fact, we think that, that God can't use us in that way. We say, that's the preacher's job. Or that's for someone who knows more than me. But I, I want to argue today that that is your calling and that is your job and that God has called you into fellowship. He has saved you from darkness into his marvelous light to personally use you to win lost people for Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today, winning people for Jesus. Winning people for Jesus. We're going to break away from our uh, series from 1 Corinthians and we're going to talk about winning people for Jesus. Now, automatically, when we say winning people for Jesus, I know that there's probably eight to 12 reasons why you say to yourself, I can't win someone to Jesus. We have many reasons that we can say, nope, I can't do it. But before we dive into the word of God and look at how God can use us and how God wants to use us to do, to do that, we're going to speak to those eight reasons that you have in your heart that you can't win someone to Jesus. And we're going to look at this video uh, that makes light of those reasons. We probably all can identify with a, a few of those excuses to why we don't share our faith. Uh, we uh, can say that it's because we feel that we might get beat up, because we won't make sense, because we might be made fun of, because we don't know how to start, because we feel like we'll be a bad witness, because we'll say the wrong thing, because we'll be a religious nut, or because we don't know enough. But as that light parody shows, those are 
not reasons, those are excuses. And as Christians, when we look to the scripture, we see those as excuses. Uh, We can even add a, a couple more things to that list. We can say that the reason we don't share our faith is because that's not our spiritual gift. Have you ever said that to someone? Well, that's not my spiritual gift, talking about Jesus to to someone who doesn't know him. Or we could say things like, you know, God just hasn't led me to do that. Uh, Those aren't adequate reasons. When we talk about sharing our faith and leading and winning other people to Jesus, uh, we want to know that God has called us to that. That every person who has been saved and who confesses Jesus as Lord has a new identity given to them by God, a new calling, a new purpose. And and a huge part of that purpose is to win people for Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, we read these words and you can remain seated. The precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant word of God says these words. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today. It's it's not going to be how we normally do, just round ourselves in one text and and, and, and chew it apart. Uh, but, but look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, uh, the call of the first disciples. The Bible says, uh, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you uh, become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So in this text, we see Jesus calling the early disciples, and I just want to pick verse 17 apart and look at it at three things really quickly. Number one, if we're going to, to follow Jesus and if we're going to win people to Jesus, the first thing we have to do is we have to see that God has called us to prioritize Jesus as number one. Jesus should be our first priority. Look at what he says when he calls Andrew and Simon. He says, follow me. Follow me. That is a call for these men to make him their first priority. Uh, Back in Jesus' day, if someone wanted to learn more about a rabbi or a teacher, what they would do is they would give up their vocation or or, or work part-time And they would go up to a rabbi, ask for his permission to follow him around everywhere he went. And they would shadow him in order to to learn from him life lessons, as well as just to, to, to watch him and to observe how he lives everyday life. It was a commitment in order that they would look more like him. Well, Jesus, instead of having people follow him around at their own choosing, at least when it came to the the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, he went up to them and he called them to follow him. And what they took that to mean, as we read in this text, they took that to mean that they were to quit their vocation, to quit what they were doing. They were fishermen. We see four men who were fishermen. That's what they did for a living. The sons of Zebedee uh, probably owned a, a, a business, a fisherman business. They were probably well off. 
And the Bible says that they dropped their nets, they quit their vocation, they quit their business, and they made Jesus number one. For three years, they followed Jesus because they wanted to learn from him. A Christian is a person who follows Jesus. It's a person who makes Jesus their number one priority and that shows up every day. That's not something that they just say. That's not just uh, 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 just talk. That shows up in their actions. They're sitting at his feet daily. Number two we see from this verse. Not only must Jesus be our first priority, it goes on to say, and I will make you. But Jesus invites us into a process. A process that calls us to surrender to him as, the, as a clay uh, surrenders to a potter. He says, I will make you. When a person follows Jesus, they trust Jesus with every part of their life. They says, my life is now in your hands and you can mold and shape me every way. And we become molded and we become shaped into the, the image of Christ by following him daily, by making him our first priority. But the third thing we see in this text is not only has God called us to prioritize, make Jesus our first priority and to submit to his process, but to live with a specific purpose. And we have to accept this purpose. God has called each of us to live with a specific purpose. Look at this, follow me and I will make you. Now, I want to notice that when Jesus calls them to follow him, he doesn't call them, call them to follow him as individuals. He calls them to follow him into community. Each of the apostles was called to follow Jesus into community. And that's what we're called to do as a church. We're called as individuals to follow Jesus into community. But we're, we're called for a specific purpose. And what does he say? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's a strong analogy. These men were used to fishing. They were professional fishers. They knew uh, that they needed a boat. Uh, they knew uh, that they needed the, the right materials. They knew that they needed the right bait. Uh, they knew uh, where to fish and where to look at, at different times of the year. That was their vocation. They, they fished for fish. Fishermen of fish. Jesus tells these men, he uses a, a salvific paradigm, a, a, a a worldly example in order to get them to see a spiritual principle. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is part of our purpose. Every Christian here has three purposes. Number one is to follow Jesus. Number two, it is to help those who are Christians follow Jesus better. We're called as Christians to be in each other's life, to help each other follow Jesus better. But number three, we are called to win the loss for Jesus. We are called to be fishers of men. That is our vocation. That is our job. They would have heard those words and said, wow, you are calling us to fish for men. That's interesting. How do we do that? What materials do we use? What, what's the bait? How does that look? And from that point on, Jesus allowed them to follow him for three years, and he showed them what it means to fish for men. He showed them how to fish for men. When we think about the story of the, the widow of Nan, he was teaching them how to follow and, and fish for men. When we think about the woman who was caught in adultery, he was teaching them how 
to fish for men. When we think about the women, woman who had the issue of blood, he was teaching them how to follow, how to, to fish for men. When we think about how he uh, uh, lived and, and loved on the least of, of the people, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, he was teaching them how to fish for men. John 4, the woman at the well, Jesus was teaching them how to fish for men. The Seraphonician woman, he was teaching them how to fish for men. Each call of each disciple, Jesus was teaching them, this is how you fish for men. In Luke chapter 9, verse 10, it says these words, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus' primary ministry on his first mission trip to earth was to fish for souls. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That should be our number one goal. That's what Jesus is doing in your life. If you are following Jesus, he is making you, and, and, and if you're really following him, to giving you a desire to see the lost come to know him. To see the lost come to know him. In Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus talking to a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a, 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 a seen as a, a nobody, a, a, the scum of, of the Jewish world as he was extracting money uh, from the people. But Jesus said, listen, I know that's what you do currently, and I know your past, but I'm still calling you to follow me. I'm calling you out of the, this pond, this cesspool of sin, into my righteousness. And that's what we're doing when we fish for men. We are calling people from a place of darkness into the kingdom of God. And we have to accept that calling as Christians. We have to accept the call to fish for men. We have to accept the call to be fishermen. I went with some of the deacons uh, a couple years ago to go fishing. It was actually my first time ever fishing. Uh, I didn't know anything about fishing, okay? They got the line for me. They went and got the bait. They put the bait on the, on the fishing pole. And having no idea about how fishing works, growing up as a, a city boy, an <laughs> uh, urban knight, uh, we went and we fished. And uh, I cast that, that fish in, into the, the, the lake. And by God's grace, a fish caught on to the bait. And one of the deacons looked at me and said, you are now a fish, uh, officially a fisherman because you caught your first fish. And then he took a picture with some of the other brothers with the fish. And one of the other brothers said, well, you weren't in the picture, so you, you have no proof that you're a fisherman. As Christians, we should live our lives with the goal to be fishermen. And if we look back on our life, and we have never cast that line, and we have never seen someone catch that bait, which is Jesus and his gospel. Can we really say that we were fishermen? I believe that every Christian should experience the joy of bringing someone to Jesus. I don't know of any greater joy. And I believe that God has desired and designed everyone who follows closely to Jesus to experience that in their lifetime. They might not know it when they die. But I believe that God has called every Christian to desire to reach that goal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, a very popular passage. 
We are called to be fishermen. We have to embrace that as our identity. It's not our neighbor's identity. It's our identity. It's not our pastor's identity. Just our pastor's identity. It's our identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is a powerful passage, unbelievable passage. So we're just going to kind of dip into it real quick. Look at what God's word says, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's exactly what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He's saying, your old life has passed. Your old priority to put fishing before me has passed. I have made you new. Now, he's not calling us to quit our jobs, necessarily. But he's saying, your new identity is not to be this employee or a businessman or a, a, a house mom or, or whatever. Your number one identity, your number one priority is to see that I have created you with a specific purpose and given you a mission. Verse 18, what is that purpose? What is that mission? All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the Bible says that God reconciled, brought us to himself through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we now have a relationship with God that says there is no longer beef between us and God. Our sin no longer separates us from God because, as verse 21 says, because for, his, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God because of Jesus, because he bore our sins upon that cross, we have forgiveness. Our past, present, and future sins are washed away. Though our sins be red as scarlet, he makes us white as snow. And now he gives us a new identity as new creatures with a new heart. We have a new call. And that is to do what? That is now, as verse 18 says, we have a new ministry. And that ministry is to reconcile the world back to God. That ministry is to reconcile the world, to bring people back to God, back to their creator. Back to the one who gave them breath to reconcile humanity from Adam's sin nature to the second Adam, who is Jesus. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are ministers, and what is our ministry? We have been given a message, and what is that message? What is that bait? We just read it. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Verse 19. That is, in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled. That is everybody's identity who says they are Jesus followers of Jesus. They are fishermen, number one. Number two, we are ambassadors. An ambassador was a royal representative. This word that Paul used is a picture of a royal representative, someone leaving the official courts of the king and going to the courts of another king to represent the king. We have been called to go into the kingdom which is this world, 
a kingdom of darkness, and to represent our Lord and Savior to those who don't know God. We have been given a message to tell people, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Do you see yourself as a royal representative? Peter says that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are... A, we are royalty. We are set apart for the use of God. We've been called with a specific task. You know, it, it has been said, and I agree, and I think that it's, it's sad, but it's so true. It has been said that those who are most likely to win people to Jesus are new converts. New converts are more likely to bring someone to know Jesus because they hear the good news of Jesus and because God has given them a new heart, it is the best news ever. They say, wow, I have been forgiven of my sins. God washes me and makes me new. And, and, and all I have to do is put my faith and trust in, in Jesus, in his cross, and his resurrection. And I can have a fresh start. And they go, and, and because they're new, they go and they run and tell everybody about it. And they're so excited that other people come to Jesus. And I've heard pastor after pastor tell me, spend most of your time with people who have just come to Jesus because they're going to be more excited about Jesus and being a part of church than people who've been there. But that's the problem. I, 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 I can see on one hand why that's uh, logical and good, but on the other hand, that's a problem. Because if we are truly following Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians, if we are dedicating our life to knowing him more, then we should not be becoming more dull in our walk. We should be becoming more aggressive in our walk. We have past experience and testimonies to draw off of as well as we are seeing his glory more and more. As Paul says, we should be going from glory to glory to glory. But sadly so, what happens is we come to know Jesus and we become really religious. We make our walk about a list of do's and do nots. We become very judgmental. Uh, we don't want to be transparent. Uh, and we get caught up in this little bubble, Christian bubble, and we forget about why we were excited to begin with. We forget that God has made us a new creature and he's forgiven us and given us a glorious future. If we are truly following Jesus, we are becoming more excited about Jesus, not more dull towards Jesus. When we look at the apostles, the more they walked with Jesus, the more excited they became about Jesus. We look at the life of Paul on his deathbed. He still wants to learn about Jesus. He's like, bring me my parchments and bring me my cloak while I'm in prison. I still have things to learn about my Savior. He says, I'm forgetting about the things past. I'm pressing towards. And that needs to be our call. So where do we start? Where do we start? If you want to win someone for Jesus, where do you start? Number one, we start with those closest to us. We start with those closest to us. You know, in that video, he had uh, 
the, the gentleman was going out and what we were doing what we called a, a kind of cold evangelism, just walking up to people and talking about Jesus, and that's great. Door-to-door evangelism in an open market, that's great. We need to do that. But I don't think that's the, the best, the, 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 the most productive way. I think that there's another way that uh, often shows even greater results. In Mark chapter 5, we read about a man who's possessed by a demon. And Jesus healed this man who was demon-possessed. And then in verse 18, we read these words. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, so the man gets healed from these demons, and this is what he says, uh, he asks Jesus, Jesus, can I please go on a boat with you? Can I please follow you? And look at what verse 19 says. He says, Jesus says, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That was this demon-possessed man's first experience with Jesus. And Jesus right away gives him his identity. He says, no, you go home and you tell people that Jesus is Lord and what Jesus did for you. And that's evangelism. You know, sometimes people talk about, well, I don't know what to say. You tell them the message that saved you. You know the message that saved you. If you don't know the message that saved you, you're not a Christian. If you don't know the message that saved you, you're not a Christian. If you don't know that you've been saved by God's grace through faith, you're probably not a Christian. You say, that's a very bold statement. That is a bold statement. Let me tell you why it's a bold statement. If Jesus has really flipped your world upside down, if Jesus has made you a new creation and a new creature, and you, still, and you don't know the basics of how he did that, you don't know that it was by his blood and his work and his cross and his resurrection, then you haven't made yourself a learner of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It is a learner of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not know the deep things. You may not know about eschatology or ecclesiology. You may not know those deeper things, but you surely know, if you are a Christian, what Jesus has done on you, for you and how he's had mercy on you. And being a witness for Jesus is simply going to tell people what Jesus has done. It is one beggar telling another beggar where to go and get bread. Where to go and have their sins forgiven. How to be made new. All of us was demon-possessed. Every non-Christian is demon-possessed, according to Ephesians chapter 2. We are following our flesh and the ways of the world. We're demon-possessed. We do not have control over our own sin nature. We're following the ways of the world. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us new. John chapter 1, verse 35. Where do you start? You start with people closest to you. In this text, Jesus told him to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home to your friends. Go home to your friends. John chapter 1. We see a similar thing. Verse 35 says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So again, come follow me. Come see how I live. Come see how I get down. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So in Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus came to Andrew and Simon, they were on the boat, and he said, come follow me, and they follow. Mark was giving a summary of what happened, but John goes a little deeper. John says, no, what the, the, the details of what happened is Jesus came to Andrew. Andrew followed Jesus, heard Jesus, saw Jesus' life, concluded that Jesus was the Messiah, or there was something unique about Jesus, and then he went and got Simon, who we know is Peter. So he went to the person that was closest to him, and just simply told him what he knew about Jesus. He didn't even have the full revelation of Jesus yet. The disciples, when they were called to follow Jesus, they didn't know Jesus was the Son of God. In Mark chapter uh, 5, when, when Jesus speaks to the, the, the sea, and he says, peace be still, and he calms the storm with his voice, at the end of him calming the storm with his voice, they said, who is this? That even the sea obeys him. So what I'm trying to say is they didn't know everything about Jesus, but they were winning people for Jesus because they simply told what Jesus had done. Peter was winning people over by saying, yo, Jesus came to my mother's house, came to our crib, laid hands on my mother who was sick with a fever and dying, and she was healed. Verse 43, 2. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked to him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And look what he said to Philip. And he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip went and he said, man, I've got to share what I believe is true to my boy Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, I believe we found the one who the prophets and the Psalms preach about. And look how Nathaniel responds. <laughs> Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, this, this ain't lining up. Nazareth is the, is the hood. And the Messiah was not supposed to come out of the hood. But he tells him what he knows about Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So he speaks to Nathanael heart. It could have been that he was being sarcastic. Maybe Nathanael was a very uh, self-righteous man. He's saying, Look, the man who has it all together. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? <laughs> he accepts the compliment. <laughs> like, man, how do you know I got it together? Verse 48, Nathaniel said, how do you know him? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So he tells Nathaniel something that he's not supposed to know. Look how Nathaniel answered him. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you that you will see heaven open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He told Nathaniel, this is just the beginning of your walk with me. When we invite people to know Jesus, we're inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. We're telling them what we know, and we're believing that God and his gospel will get into their hearts. The Bible says that Jesus preached with authority. He preached as one who was the author of the people's lives that he was preaching to. And that is what wins people to Jesus when they say, how does the Bible know me so well? How does Jesus know me so well? That's the gospel that we preach. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it gets into the joints and the marrow. It, it discerns the secret thoughts of man. That's what the gospel does. That's the bait that we use. We tell people the gospel that God created a perfect world, but man messed that world up by rebelling against God. And as a result, they deserve, we deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that we would not be condemned, but that we would have eternal life. And the same God who saved us is sanctifying us. And one day he's coming back again for us to put us in a new garden, in a new Jerusalem where there's no more sin and no more crying and no more pain. That is the good news that this world would not always be this way. Come and see. Come and meet this man named Jesus. Start with the ones closest to you. Each person in this text went and got the person that was most dearest to him. That's what being a witness for Jesus is. God has called you to reach those closest for you. I want to give you an acronym that I want you to remember. It's an acronym, Fran, Fran, Fran. I call Sister Francis Sister Fran sometimes. So if you forget the, the acronym and what I say, just think about our church uh, secretary and say this is called Fran, okay? Who are those closest to us? F stands for friends. Friends. God has called us to go get our friends. The one we text, our BFFs. Girls. Guys, we don't have BFFs. <laughs> Pastor Bishop was about to throw his shoe at me like, that is not biblical manhood. <laughs> Brother, Nate, Brother <laughs> Pastor Maciel was like, we got to toughen him up. We don't have BFFs, right? Best friends for life, for those who, who don't know. We, we are go to get our friends. Are We're to go to get our relatives. Some of you have family members who don't know Jesus. That's who you're supposed to go. Oh, you don't know Nuke Nuke. <laughs> I can't witness a Nuke Nuke. Nuke Nuke don't hear anything I have to say. Well, you're called to go and, and get Nuke Nuke. Associates. We're called to get our associates. Those persons who we may not be really close to, but that we see on a regular basis. Maybe it's the person at the cleaners. Maybe it's the person at Kroger's. Maybe it's the person who's a Facebook friend that you've never actually spoken face-to-face -face in person. Those who you associate with. Maybe it's a business partner. We're called to go get our neighbors. A Christian should never be able to say that they don't know their neighbor. And my wife once uh, heard a sermon where a pastor said that. He said, you know, after a major shooting or something like that, you often hear people, the neighbors say, well, he just seemed like a nice guy. We don't know anything about him, but he seemed like a nice guy. A Christian should never be able to say that 
their neighbor seemed like a nice person, but they never got to know him, unless that neighbor was just standoffish and wouldn't give them the time of day. We are called to know our neighbors. We're called to know their worldview. We're called to know what keeps them going, what keeps them ticking. We're called to know what they believe is going to save them, because we all believe that something is going to save us. May not be God, it may be evolution. Something is our savior. We're called to do that. Now you may look at this list and say, you know what, all my friends, all my relatives, all my associates, all my neighbors, I really don't know anyone who is lost. And I say there's probably one or two things happening. If you can say, I don't know anyone who knows Jesus, if I can say that. The first is, we're pro- we may be living in a Christian bubble. If all the people you know are Christian, uh, we are not living on mission for Jesus. If the only people you know are church-going people, it's okay for today, but we don't want to leave with that attitude, okay? We want to embrace our identity as fisher of men and ambassadors of the royal kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. Number two, it may be that we have a wrong perspective about what it means to be saved. If you say everybody you know is a Christian, your definition of a Christian might be too broad. Well, they said they believe in God. That doesn't make them a Christian. They said they believe in Jesus. That doesn't make them a Christian. James chapter 2 says you believe the Lord your God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that God is one and tremble. Our memory verse from last month, John chapter 1, verse 12, but to those who received him and believe, he gave the right to become children of God. It's not just believing, it is receiving Jesus. It is receiving him as Lord. It is receiving him as supreme ruler. It is giving him every part of your life and saying, you are the potter, I am the clay. Jesus says, those who love me are those who keep my commandments. It is those who have put their faith and trust in the resurrected Jesus and who have, over time, the works, the fruits that back up their belief in Jesus. That's a Christian. So little Nuke Nuke who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but who, when you bring up Jesus, calls you a religious nut. Or who says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member of Bedside Baptist. Um, and who thinks that when praises go up, blessings come down, is a scripture, is the, song, the 23rd song, is probably not a Christian. The person who says, uh, uh, the, 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 the sofa is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in a comfortable sofa. He leaves me beside great television shows. He restores my tummy. If that's their religion, their comfort, probably not a Christian. Jesus said in early chapters of John, he said, as the Bible says, that many believed in him, but he did not entrust himself to them. 
What that means is that people will follow him and say they believed in him because they saw the miracles, they saw the works of him. But the Bible says, yeah, they knew him, but he did not know them. He did not give himself to them because he knew that the only reason they were following him is because they wanted free food. And a lot of people say that they're Christians because they want free food. God is their genie or their maid or their butler. Those are people who you want to reach and you want to tell them about how Jesus saves us from sin, gives us a new life, gives us joy, gives us a relationship, not useless religion. Do your friends know Jesus? Do your friends know Jesus? Do your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors know Jesus? Now, we all have excuses. We all have reasons uh, why we don't share our faith. We gave uh, eight excuses why we don't share our faith. I want to give us a, a few quick thoughts on how to overcome those excuses. Number one, we want to pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. If one of those excuses was your reason, um, I want to call you to pray for boldness. Write that down. Pray for boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Listen to what God's word says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So here the apostles are are praying for, for boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servants, servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is Peter and John, along with the rest of Christians, praying that God would give them boldness as they were facing persecution to speak the gospel. And look, in the same passage, it says that God gave a boldness. And throughout Acts, we see three other times where the Bible said that these men spoke with boldness. It is intimidating to talk to someone about Jesus who doesn't know him. It is. It is intimidating sometimes to strike up a conversation about our Lord in an environment that says that you shouldn't. But I'm telling you, when you feel intimidated and when you know someone is lost, stop and pray for boldness. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Look at what the word says. We'll start at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So that's Paul again. What is he doing? He's praying for boldness. He's saying, pray for me, that I will boldly be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. Paul isn't asking the church to pray for him for boldness because he's bold. He's asking the church to pray for him that he would have boldness because he knows his heart's natural desire to fear man to serve men, to be timid, 
Everybody but Jesus has that fear. At some point. He's saying, pray for me. He's begging the church, man. Pray for me. I'm in chains. But the gospel is not in chains. Pray that God would do something. There's a direct correlation with our evangelism. To evangelize means to go and to tell people about Jesus. There's a direct correlation with our lack of evangelizing and our lack of prayer. When we come before a holy and righteous and majestic king, when we become to him as Savior and Lord, and when we bow our knees or, or speak to him and we pray to him, he gives us a fresh vision of him. He gives us encouragement. He warms our heart towards him, and that warmth from our heart calls us and pushes us to tell other people about him. Christian is a person who is burning who is on fire for Jesus and who invites other people to come and watch me burn. What one church, uh, his, uh, one historical preacher said, Richard Baxter, come and watch me burn for Jesus. That's a Christian. When our hearts are cold towards God, which it, which it is, which it probably often is, we need to get on our knees and we need to pray and say, God, give me a passion, help me to burn, give me boldness, help me to go forth with your gospel, help me to reach my hood, help me to reach my neighbors, help me to reach my friends. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. How's your prayer life? When's the last time you got on your knees and you wept for someone who was lost? When's the last time you got on your face and you cried over that person that's on Facebook that is living contrary to the word of, and will of God? When's the last time you prayed, Lord, give me boldness? Oh, give me the boldness to write them a small letter and tell them, I want to I treat you out to lunch. I want to get to know Second, fear God and not men. Not only do we want to pray for boldness, we want to, want to remind ourselves that we're, we're called to fear God and not man. I'm going to quote this, Brother Kevin. You don't have to put it up. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 through 32, summarizing it. Jesus basically said uh, that we ought to not fear the person who can destroy our body, but we ought to fear the person who can destroy our body and our soul. The reason many of us are afraid to witness is because we're afraid of what that list said. I looked at that list. All eight of those things had to do with what other people thought about us and how other people will respond to us. But the Bible says don't be afraid of them. You need to be afraid of the one who owns your soul. Revelation chapter 21 and 8 says, that those who will be rejected from the kingdom of God, he names, are the sexual immoral. That means people, not people who commit a sin, Christians commit sin, but people who identify with that sin. They are living that way. They're not living as Jesus' Lord. That is their sin. That is their thing. The sexual immoral, he goes on to list all of these grievous sins. But look at where he's, what he also says. The first two things he mentions are the cowardly and the faithless.
if we can look at our lifespan and say that we've never went fishing for Jesus, we're not a fisherman, which may mean that we've never truly followed him. Touch your neighbor and say, it's tight, but it's right. Deacons, we need somebody to turn the air up. It's getting hot in here. It's getting hot in her. All right. I just took us way back. All right. Keep your clothes on. Amen. That's Nelly. I'm sorry. I made you fall. I made you stumble. Come back. Touch your neighbor. Say, come back. Come back home. Come back. Come back. Amen. And it's not because it's some self-effort. It's because when we follow Jesus, he makes us to be that way. He said, I will make you. If God says he's going to make something, he's going to make it. We've got to fear God. We've got to have a big picture of God. Two Fridays ago, I was visiting someone's home who was ill and who was older um, and who was, uh, you know, in a, in a bad place. And I was sitting in this person's living room, and there were some of his family members there. And we were just having casual talk. And after hearing him talk for a while, it sounded like he thought well of God and thought well of Jesus. But it became clear that he had never put his faith and trust in Jesus. He had never been baptized and made Jesus first in his life. And I remember while sitting there in that room and talking to him, there was a part of my heart that just wanted to remain silent. There was a part of my heart that just wanted to say, oh, he, he said enough good things, maybe he's saved. And I remember thinking, if I start talking to him about Jesus, this whole room is going to listen. What if somebody objects and all these things as he's talking? And I stopped by God's grace and I prayed. I said, God, give me boldness. By God's grace, he gave me boldness and allowed me to share the gospel with this gentleman. By God's grace, this man accepted Jesus. And yesterday, we went to his home. Leaders uh, joined me in his home and we baptized him. And that's not to make me the hero of the story. There's been many times where I've been, been timid and, and should have shared Jesus that I didn't. But that goes to show when we pray for boldness, when we pray for wisdom, that God gives us boldness. And he gives us wisdom. And he allows us to be fisher of men. One thing I learned about fishing is you really don't have to do a lot of work. All you have to do is have the right bait, be at the right place at the right time, and the bait will do the work for you. Bait would do the work for you. Actually, when I caught that one fish that I caught, which made me officially a fisherman, I was talking. One of the deacons said, look at your line. I'm like, what? Look at your line. It's moving and shaking. I'm like, oh, my line. I caught a fish. No, we don't catch fish. God catches fish. We're just mailmen. We just deliver the mail, and we deliver with excitement as if there is a winning lottery ticket. Okay, that analogy falls short, but it works. <laughs> Pretend it works. Third, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pray for boldness, fear God, not man, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're a Christian, the greatest part of your life is Jesus. The greatest thing that has ever happened to you is Jesus. Which means that the greatest act of love that you can show someone is giving them Jesus. Some people say, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't tell people about Jesus. We shouldn't infringe upon their worldview. Let them believe what they believe. To do so is unloving. But I once heard an unbeliever say, no, how much does a person have to hate me to believe that there's a hell and not tell me about Jesus? That's not love when you allow someone to believe something about God that's not true. That's not love when you allow someone who is an atheist, an agnostic, or believes in evolution to, to die that way. That is hate. Love that person enough to tell them about Jesus. If you saw someone drowning in the middle of ocean, that would not be love to withhold a life raft. That would be love to throw the life raft. Our friends, our relatives, our associates, our neighbors, they're burning down in a, a house fire that's called this world. They don't even realize the smoke. They don't realize the flames, but we see it, and we have the water. This is Jesus. They're starving to death, and they don't realize it. But we have the bread. Like my daughter, she doesn't sometimes like to take medicine unless it's a good-tasting medicine. And so she may fight against that medicine, but we give her that medicine knowing that that medicine is going to hurt her. To some people, we may be an aroma of life. To other people, we may be aroma of death. But as Jesus said, when they reject you, they reject me. If they've rejected the teacher, they're going to reject the student. But you've got to remind yourself that it's not about you. And that your identity is not tied up in what that person thinks about you. You have been accepted by the person who matters most. The person who matters most is Jesus, is God. And he has accepted you. And he looks at you and says, my good and faithful servant. He looks at you and he loves you as if you're perfect because of Jesus' righteousness, which is imputed upon you. You are deeply loved by the one who loves you the most. Perfect love cast out all fear, the Bible says. When we realize that we are perfectly loved by God, that he allowed his son to die the death that we deserve in our place, we can live free. And say, yes, I would like you to like me, but if you don't, my world is not going to end. People who like you now, they're probably not going to like you tomorrow anyway. Get a raise. Get a new car. Get a new house. Fourth, live with a clean conscience. Live with a clean conscience. Be wrapping up. Live with a clean conscience. I believe that Part of the reason why we don't share our faith and tell people about Jesus, for some of us, it is. You know, we saw the video about the guy who gets bumped, kind of goes off on a guy, smoking a cigarette, and turns around and talks about Jesus. We say, I don't want to be that person. But listen, every Christian has sin in their life. But a Christian is a person who determines not to allow a sin to become habitual. 
We sin, but it doesn't become our lifestyle. We war against our sin. And if you're saying that I can't tell someone about Jesus because I have a habitual ruling sin in my life and I'll look like a hypocrite, here's what you need to do. Surrender that area to Jesus. Let him clean you up so that you can witness with a pure conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. Look at what God's word says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's huge. I wish we could dive right there. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what is he saying? He's saying live in a holy way. Live as one who set apart so that you, and also be prepared to tell people why you follow Jesus. Be an evangelist, be an ambassador, be a fisher of men. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Verse 16, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So he's saying, live as holy. Share the gospel but have a clean conscience. Those who are bold for Jesus are those who can, at the end of the day, say, yes, I sin, I fall short, and I need God to help me and to restore me and to make me new, to help me to grow in, 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 in holiness. But those who don't do that are the ones who are going to be afraid to tell people about Jesus because they don't want their car to be pulled. How are you going to tell me about Jesus? And I know you're a weed man. Ooh, pastor, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. We were so civil. It's hard to talk about Jesus when you smoking a, 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 some weed with somebody. Man, I'm, yo, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Fam, I'm telling you. Man, you need to give your life to Jesus, man. I'm telling you. Hey, pass me that 40, yo. Okay, we all got seen you smoking weed. You can still be a Christian. Give your life to Jesus. Give you, whatever the issue is, give your life to Jesus is what I'm saying. Surrender that so that you can have a clean conscience and you can go back to the hood and say, look, I can sit in a room with you while you smoke weed and not be tempted because Jesus has brought me to a place where that is no longer an issue. And I'm sitting right here, of course, making sure that we have overcome that temptation to tell you about Jesus. Fifth, have faith that God will work through you. Our last point, have faith that God will work through you. Have faith that God will work through you. I want to pray for boldness. We want to fear God and not man. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to live with a clean conscience. But we also want to have faith that God will work through us. Listen to me, dear Christian. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, listen to me. God wants to, wants to use you to bring your friends to know Jesus. Not only does God want to use you, 
got candy. Say, well, I'm not very educated. My friends are more educated. Listen to me. Listen to me. That's not an issue. Acts chapter 4, that's what they said about the apostles. He said, these are men who aren't educated, but yet they turn the world upside down. The most important thing to be educated about is the, the gospel. It's to know what Jesus has done for you. If you know that, you know enough. A farmer can bring a rocket scientist to Jesus, a brain surgeon to Jesus, if Jesus has touched his life. You, you're looking at yourself through your own eyes. Look at yourself through the eyes of Jesus. That's why God allowed Jesus to come from such humble beginnings. That's why Nathaniel said, does anything good come out of Nazareth? God wanted to show us that no matter where you come from, you can be on mission for him if you surrender yourself to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are God's workmanship, his poem, his artistic expression. You were created by God for good works. Good works are Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired deeds. You were created by God for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The reason God saves you is so that you can do good works for him. Believe that. Walk out of here with your head held high saying, I am a child of God. God can use me. Make it your number one goal and priority to see someone say, what must I do to be saved? So how are we going to apply this message? How are we going to do that? I want you to open your bulletins. And in your bulletin, you have a uh, small note card that says 10 most wanted. 10 most wanted. I want to edit something I said. Don't be long enough. I have to do that a lot. I'm going to encourage you. If you're a confessing Christian, no matter where you are in life and who you're around, talk about Jesus. They say, well, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. Talk about him anyway. Acknowledge me in all your ways. (laughs) All your ways. It's not just bad ways. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. (laughs) Lean not to your own. Acknowledge me in all your ways. Even when you mess up, acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Because many of us will walk out with excuse. We'll find something petty to say, yep, I can't share Jesus with him. Ten most wanted. This list, what I want you to do is to take this home and to pray and to think about ten family members, ten people, your friends, family associates, um, relatives, and neighbors, and write their name down. And we are trusting God as a church that we are going to begin as a church to check off people that God has saved. This isn't just a checklist so that we can boast in ourselves. This is saying, God, I am committing myself to be intentional with your gospel and to take your gospel to these people, and I believe that you can save them. No, another church in Puerto Rico, Pastor Gabriel Prada, 
He's the one who gave me this idea. He said that this was the most important thing that he did as a church. They did the 10 most wanted. And he says uh, just about every month someone comes up to him and says, hey, we caught number five. We caught number two. We caught number nine. And his church is filled with new believers because the members of his church believe that God can use them. And I believe that God can use you. It's not about what church they go to. I don't care if they go to another church. We want them in the kingdom of God. So this is what I want you to do. I'm going to ask Brother Nepo. He's going to play some music for or Sister Debbie can play some music for us for a few minutes. I want you to fill out the top three persons on this list. I want you to think about three people who are lost. If you need a bulletin, raise your hand, and uh, someone's going to come around and get you a bulletin. And we're going to fill out the top three people that we know that do not know Jesus. By know Jesus, we mean have a relationship with Jesus. If you're not sure, if it's kind of shaky, put their name on the list. If it's you and you're kind of shaky, put your name on the list. Pray for yourself. Listen, and after we fill out that three, we're going to do something radical, something that many of us may feel uncomfortable doing, but we're going to do it because I believe as Christians we need to do it. We're going to pray together. We're going to break off in groups of two and three, and we're going to share one person from that list. You don't have to share their name, and we're going to pray for that person. Jesus said that the temple should be called a place of prayer. Now you say, well, I'm scared, I'm afraid. That's fine. It's okay to be scared and afraid if you take your fear to Jesus. If you take your fear to Jesus. You're not praying to impress people. Prayer doesn't have to be long. In fact, Jesus said, don't do that. He said, do that when you're alone. But when you're before people, get to the point so that you're not impressing people. Amen? Amen. Now, for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, um, our, our pray. Our prayer is that you would leave this place having a relationship with Jesus. If you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, I don't want you to fill out a card right now. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus, who is God and yet fully man, died on a cross, an innocent man died, so that your wrongdoings, your sins, past, present, and future, would rest on him and not on you. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your filth, he doesn't see your sin, he sees his son's righteousness. And not only that, God then gives you a new heart, new desires to follow him. You say, well, I'll come to Jesus when I clean myself up. Let me tell you a secret. You'll never be able to clean yourself up. You may be able to stop one sin, but another sin will reign in your life because the Bible says you are a slave to your sin. Not only does Jesus deliver you from sin, but he gives you something that no one without Jesus has. He gives you joy, not happiness. Happiness is conditional. Happiness depends on how you're being treated, what you have in the bank account, and what you own. Joy says you can take everything away from me but Jesus, and I'll still be satisfied. I 
might not be satisfied right away, but God will lead me beside still waters. We invite you to come and know Jesus. So as those who are believers stand to their feet and find someone around you to pray with, those who don't know Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to come.